Everywhere you go in Washington, D.C. these days, you hear people talking about it. Shut up! You hear it at the bus stop. The debt ceiling. You hear it at the barbershop. The debt ceiling. You hear it at the grocery store. The debt ceiling. You hear it on the street corners. The debt ceiling. But what is it? Why do we have it? Why do we have to fight about it every so often? Why is our government built this way? Could we have built it better like? What would the fine people of Washington, D.C. be talking about if we had? We're going to break out the shovels and dig into these questions on this edition of Today Explained. Okay. Mint, mint, mint. Okay. You wouldn't pay $15 for a cold brew, and you never spend 250 to see a movie. So why are you paying so much for your cell phone plan? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless plans for $15 a month. That's Hey, a- Jimmy, honey, do you want pasta? Hey, Mom, I'm recording right now. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required, equivalent to $15 a month. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Jimbo, I'm going to heat up some pasta just in case, okay? You need your energy. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Today Explained... Sean Ramos from here with Andrew Prokop from Vox in our D.C. studio. Andrew, why is everyone in this town talking about the debt ceiling right now? Because today is the day that we hit the debt ceiling. And is that cataclysmic or are we going to be OK? It's OK for now. Basically, every time we hit the debt ceiling, which is the legally mandated limit in how much debt the U.S. government can issue to pay its bills, the Treasury Secretary can kick the can down the road a little bit more by using what's known as extraordinary measures to keep things going, fiddling with the books a little bit so that technically we don't have to um, breach the debt ceiling fully until a few months from now. Hmm. By June, could this be a much more perilous situation? Yeah, so that's the real deadline. And in the biggest debt ceiling showdowns in the past— Um, That's the true date when it's believed there will be some sort of crisis, default, economic pain if measures aren't taken to raise the U.S. debt ceiling before then. Remind me how this has gone in the past. We have some examples to point to, yes? So generally, there's a bit of a staring contest, game of chicken, treating it like a political football, whatever kind of metaphor you want to use for this. Mm -hmm. As the parties in Congress stare each other down, arguing about what to do over this. And in recent decades, this has mainly been the 
subject of political posturing. But... Political aftershocks echoed in Washington and around the country today after Republicans scored resounding victories in the midterm elections. After the Republicans took the House of Representatives during Barack Obama's first midterms, so this is 2011, it was the Tea Party wave. They all came in, they wanted to cut government spending, and they had the idea that they could essentially take the debt ceiling hostage. In the House, 87 freshman Republicans got elected only after pledging to slash the budget by $100 billion. This was a must-pass bill that everyone agreed there would be economic calamity if, if it wasn't passed, if the debt ceiling wasn't raised. So the House Republicans decided to say, hey, guess what? We're not going to raise it unless you, President Obama, and Senate Democrats agreed to dramatically cut government spending. Speaker Boehner seized his moment in the spotlight tonight to sum up the GOP approach with a pithy statement he later tweeted. The solution to this crisis is not complicated. If you're spending more money than you're taking in, you need to spend less of it. Was that the worst this ever got, this sort of brinksmanship around the debt ceiling? The 2011 crisis was the closest we ever came to the brink. So how did Obama, the Republicans, the Democrats finally come to some consensus? Well, they cut a deal. I want to announce that the leaders of both parties in both chambers have reached an agreement that will reduce the deficit and avoid default. President Obama at that time wanted to be seen as a spending cutter. He wanted to change the perception of him as a big spender before his reelection. He was sort of following President Bill Clinton's example from the 1990s. So he came to the table. The parties tried to make out a grand bargain on um, how to raise taxes and cut spending. But in the end, that didn't come together. So they created a much cruder method. They they agreed to to form another committee, a super committee, to look at spending cuts and, and the budget deficit. And then if the super committee could not reach a deal, which it didn't, then what was known as the sequester would kick in. These were big, automatic spending cuts to both a defense and non-defense spending. The sequestration acts would slice $54 billion from defense and an equal amount from domestic programs from Head Start to the Border Patrol next year, with more to follow. So those sequestration spending cuts did kick in. Nobody really liked them, and they went into effect for some time, and eventually they were rolled back. And that was our last big debt ceiling showdown. So how did we get back here in 2023? So even though the Republican Party in general has become less focused on cutting spending, there's still a faction within the party that cares about that a great deal, supported by donors, interest groups, and and controlling a, a certain block of seats. And the broad mainstream of the party is also sympathetic to the idea that the federal government is spending too much and uh, that we should do something about that. So when Kevin McCarthy was trying to win some of those last Republican holdout votes to get named Speaker of the House, he agreed that he would allow no clean debt ceiling increase, that that basically they were going to do 2011 again. Hmm. They were going to demand spending cuts in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. And so is it the same Republicans who held up McCarthy's speakership who are now going to hold up this debt ceiling situation? 
Well, now it's, it's Kevin McCarthy who's going to hold it up. I don't know if you have any children, but if you had a child and you gave them a credit card and they kept raising it and they hit the limit, so you just raised it again, clean increase, and again and again, would you just keep doing that or would you change the behavior? We're six months away. Why wouldn't we sit down now and change this behavior? He agreed to a strategy that he's hoping to unite the Republican Party behind that that they are going to demand concessions from the White House and Senate Democrats, and that basically saying, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling unless you agree to some of the spending cuts we want. Huh. And do we have any idea how the White House is going to play it? Well, the White House has said they're not going to negotiate. The word from the White House is that they don't want to set a precedent where uh, basically any time you vote to raise the debt ceiling, that you somehow uh, get some kind of a prize, a cookie, as one Democrat put it. they suggesting that they believe that President Obama made a mistake by agreeing to deal over this. They are going to hold firm. President Biden seems less interested in rebranding himself as a spending cutter as compared to President Obama. He doesn't seem to think that that issue is politically potent enough to help his reelection, at least at this point. So right now, there is a bit of a standoff. So what are you going to be watching for in the next few months as this plays out? Both sides' positions are incompatible at this point. The White House says they won't negotiate on the debt ceiling. House Republicans say they won't raise the debt ceiling unless the White House agrees to cut spending. So there are a few ways this could resolve. There could be some sort of a deal between moderates of both parties. There's been some chatter about that in the House, at least. but. For various reasons, it's it's kind of hard to see them overpowering um, their own party leaders. So if that's not the case, then it really is a question of who blinks first or if there is some sort of way to get both sides to defuse this crisis. How the potential for periodic economic crisis got built into the system when we return on Today Explained. Support for this episode comes from Mint Mobile. There's a lot to love about your cell phone. It gets you safely from point A to point B. It can capture some of life's most important memories. Hey, it even does cat memes. But when it comes to your cell phone bill, those warm and fuzzy feelings are nowhere to be found. Enter Mint Mobile. Enter mom. Knock, 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 knock. Honey, Jimbo, I'm coming in. Mom, you can't keep barging into my recording studio like this. <sighs> Honey, <laughs> recording studio. You mean your bedroom? Oh, oh, it is a mess in here. Uh, time for a vacuum. Just quick, quick vacuum. Hey, can you just give me 10 minutes to finish this? What are you doing in here? What is a Mint Mobile? They do cell phone plans for $15 a month. Huh, well, that's too good to be true. I know a scam when I see one, honey. It's not a scam. Look here. Plans come with unlimited talk and text. And high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Oh. Oh, that's something. Then I'd have to get a new phone, though, and put all my numbers in there. Uh, That's too much work. Forget it. No, Mom, you can keep your phone and all your contacts with any Mint Mobile plan. It's really easy. Huh. Same number? Yeah, same number. Okay, so I'm just gonna finish... This ad now. Pretend I'm not even here. Not even here. You're standing between me and the computer. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required. Equivalent to $15 a month. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Mom, the vacuum! The vacuum! You never call. That's because I live here, Mom. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Today Explained, we are back with the program, but Andrew Prokop is gone. Here to replace him is his colleague from the Vox newsroom, Dylan Matthews, who I'm told has been thinking and writing about the debt ceiling for a long time. Dylan, is that true? Yeah, my first debt ceiling fight uh, was, was 2011, and I was, I was an intern and still in college. And so I've been doing this my entire professional life, and it seems like it will never end. You've cut your teeth on the debt ceiling, so forgive me. For starting with such a basic question, but I have to ask for our listeners, why does the United States have a debt ceiling at all? We're clearly very good at spending profligate amounts of money. Why do we need a limit? Well, we have a limit because we decided to enter World War I in 1917. Aha. Before 1917, Congress was very sort of micromanager-y about the debt. Um, if there was a big project uh, like the Panama Canal or a railroad that the government was subsidizing or something, they would issue bonds specifically for that project. And sometimes they would have a little more flexibility if it was a war, if it was a Spanish-American war, they, the Treasury was allowed to issue bonds a little more loosely. But usually, like, Congress would set the interest rate, they would say how much debt could be issued at all, uh, they would set the length of the bonds, like, very much, like, in the details. And once we got into World War I, it's a massive war that, uh, and quite famously, a world war of immense, <laughs> immense scale. And so they couldn't really predict how much they were going to spend. And so in the second Liberty Bond Act of 1917, they gave uh, the Treasury the authority to, to issue bonds uh, of the amount they saw fit, but subject to a limit. We men in Congress will give President Wilson what he needs to fight the great war, but there must be some kind of limit. They didn't want to give up total control. They wanted to have have some cap on what, what the Treasury could do with that power. And that's where the debt ceiling came from? That's the origin point. And, and initially, they, we had like different ceilings for different kinds of debt. I think it, it took until literally the 1980s for there to be an actual like separate law about this. Until then, we were just amending the second Liberty Bond Act of 1917. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, the statutory limit on this uh, comes from World War I. Okay, so this comes from World War One, which is, as I recall, about a century ago. Sure. Do we still need it? Why is it stuck around? No one needs the debt ceiling. I want to be very clear about this. I have not met, like, a single expert who thinks it's a good idea that the U.S. has a debt ceiling. Huh. People like uh, Rohit Kumar, who was deputy chief of staff to Mitch McConnell and deeply involved in all the Obama-era debt ceiling negotiations, he thinks we should get rid of it. Hmm. Almost every other country like us has nothing like this. Canada doesn't have it. 
UK doesn't have it, France doesn't have it, Germany doesn't have it, Japan doesn't have it, Australia doesn't have it, New Zealand doesn't have it. Uh, the only other country that has something like this is Denmark. And theirs is uh, fake. The, theirs is, <laughs> is set at, at uh, 2 trillion Danish kroner. Their outstanding debt is, is 438 billion kroner. They're just not going to hit it. Is it here to stay then? Are we ever going to just get rid of this thing? I sincerely hope at some point the debt ceiling is abolished or de facto abolished. I think it looks bad optically to be like, I'm getting rid of this restriction on how much debt we have. That sounds bad. That is a, a vote that is easy to use in an attack ad. Mm. I think the most elegant way out long term is John Yarmouth, who uh, used to be chair of the, the House Budget Committee, had a bill that would let the Treasury Secretary set the debt ceiling. And so we would still have a debt ceiling, but the administration would be in charge of what it was. And so it wouldn't be up to hmm. Congress. You wouldn't have these periodic crises. But Congress would need to agree to that change. Right. That's a bill they would need to pass, and they would in doing that, be giving up leverage going forward. And I think a lot of them are, are loath to do that. In the meantime, how do we avoid a fight that drags on for months and potentially causes economic harm in this country? So I think there, there are two rough paths for, for Biden here. Uh, one is to do what Obama did and negotiate, um, to, to work out some package of concessions in exchange for Republicans agreeing to raise the debt ceiling. Mm. The other path is to try to use his powers as president to get around the debt ceiling. Uh -huh. That is trickier, but uh, also holds the promise of, of preventing more crises like this in the future. And what does that road look like? Well, there are a few forks in that road. We can take them one by one. Okay. So first is, is the 14th Amendment option. The 14th Amendment is probably most famous for guaranteeing equal protection, for applying the Bill of Rights to the states. But there uh, is a provision in there that the integrity of the debt shall not be challenged. And if you look back at what uh, John Bingham, who was the, the Ohio congressman who wrote the 14th Amendment, was saying, he was coming out of the Civil War, and he wanted to, to prevent U.S. default. And so there have been people arguing that under the 14th Amendment and under the original understanding of it when it was written, measures that could lead the U.S. to default um, are unconstitutional. Probably the most famous people to have embraced this were uh, Bill Clinton and Nancy Pelosi back in 2011. In fact, if I were president, would, I would use the 14th Amendment, which says that the, the, uh, that of the United States it will always be paid. You would just go ahead and do it. You wouldn't I wait would just for go do it, right. There's some constitutional law scholars who, who've embraced this as well. Obama demurred, and I think one reason he demurred, which, which applies to everything we're going to talk about here, is just anything that makes this a fight in the courts puts a question mark on U.S. debt. Hmm. And, and maybe the markets... Uh, are less certain that, that they'll be paid back because people are suing the president over his authority to do this. But that's one option. Invoke the 14th Amendment, one option that Biden has here. Come on. Come on, folks. But there are others. Yes. So the other declare I'm going to ignore the debt ceiling option is it doesn't have a snappy name. You, you could maybe call it the least illegal option. <laughs> That's kind of snappy. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so these professors, Michael Dorff and Neil Buchanan, uh, developed this idea. Congress passed a bunch of laws saying what the tax code should be in the U.S. and raising a certain amount of money. 
Congress also passed a lot of laws saying what they wanted to spend money on. And then they passed a third law saying that you can't have debt above a certain amount. And Dorf and Buchanan's argument is that these three laws contradict each other. You can obey two of them at a time, but not all three. And their argument is that the least illegal thing for him to do is to ignore the debt ceiling. My view is that if that were to arise, the president's least unconstitutional option, the sort of least bad option, would actually be to violate the debt ceiling statute. Like the 14th Amendment option, I think this makes a lot of legal sense. It will go to the courts. And I have no idea what the the Supreme Court would say about it. Hmm. But it has an elegance to it. And, And I think it's like, if not as a matter of law, as a matter of principle, right. Like Congress has passed three laws that are contradictory. Come on, come on, come on, folks. Fair. So it seems kind of unlikely, but another option would be ignoring the debt ceiling altogether. I don't know about likely, but but here are a couple more and see if they strike your fancy. Um, one is that you could set up new bodies to issue things that look like debt but aren't. Huh. So this is something Steve Schwartz at, at Duke has proposed. And it sounds zany and fake, but this is actually how a lot of U.S. state governments work. Most states have balanced budget amendments that prohibit them from taking out debt. And so... They create these special purpose entities, and then those entities issue debt, and then that debt pays for stuff. And it's kind of scummy, but it works. And it lets them avoid their balanced budget requirements. And and so the argument is that this could in turn allow the federal government to ignore uh, the debt ceiling is, is by hmm. issuing debt by another name. Perhaps even more than the other options, this is a totally new debt instrument it's unclear what the markets would value it at, if they would treat it the same way as regular debt. And so there might be some some economic ripple effects from that. And there would be a court battle, but I don't think of the same octane as just ignoring the debt ceiling would create. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And then the last one, are we going to talk about minting the coin? <laughs> minting the coin. Minting the coin, very divisive in today explained editorial meetings. Is it really? Oh, man. Totally. It's it's the coolest thing that's ever happened in, in American fiscal policy. The idea, which originated in a blog comment by a user under the name of Beowulf, who's actually a lawyer named Carlos Mucha. Wow. Uh, who I, I interviewed a, a little while ago. So Carlos noticed that Congress had passed a law in 1997 that allows the Treasury Secretary to mint platinum coins of any denomination. (laughs) This was written by uh, then-Delaware Congressman Mike Castle. When I called Mike Castle about this, he was like, yeah, we wanted to, like, sell some platinum coins to collectors in Japan, make a a little bit of money. Uh It was about, like, the collector market in Japan. This was just for small denominations, uh, smaller denominations than the uh, some of the money that's being talked about now. Carlos's idea is to use this law and have Janet Yellen mint a, say, trillion-dollar coin. I hope it's Nick Cage's face on the back of it. <laughs> I'm going to steal it. It has to be. 
I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. I feel like the other the other way is to put Trump's face on it, and then it's like, oh, oh you, you don't you don't like this Republicans, really? You're gonna fight us on this? <laughs> it's way better than an NFT. Oh, way way better. I'm doing my first official collection of Donald J. Trump digital trading cards, <laughs> or to use the technical term, nifties. And so Janet Yellen, she mints a trillion dollar coin. She has this coin. It's worth a trillion dollars. She goes to the Federal Reserve, which she used to run. Federal Reserve owns trillions and trillions of dollars of U.S. government debt because it, it buys it up when it wants to lower interest rates on it uh, to help the overall economy. Bought up a ton in 2008 and 2020, uh, and it hasn't unloaded them all yet. So she goes and she says, I would like a trillion dollars worth of bonds. But I think Jay Powell would be like, yeah, this is dumb. I'll take your money. I'll give you these these loans. And then you use that debt to pay for the government. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come on, folks. It sounds like a remarkable idea. It sounds like the kind of thing that a guy who calls himself Beowulf in his spare time would come up with. Which of these could plausibly happen in our reality in summer, fall, who knows, 2023? While I think the coin is cool as hell, Uh it is so zany that I have a kind of hard time (laughs) believing Biden will go for it. Uh My preferred of these is the uh, least illegal option, that the uh, the 14th Amendment argument makes sense, but usually we don't let presidents just say that they think stuff is unconstitutional and then ignore it. The special purpose debt is interesting, but I worry a lot that it would be um, at much higher interest rates and, and that would cause a market freak out. Saying you're going to ignore this law, I think is like, it, it's, it strikes me as like, uh, an appropriate use of the president's authority of your job is to execute the laws. These are the laws before you. They contradict each other. So you make a clear statement about which of the laws you're going to follow, given that you can't follow all of them. And as you mentioned earlier, there is a way out of this. We could just get rid of this debt ceiling that that we instituted around the First World War. And that seems unlikely to happen in this Congress and maybe even future ones, which means that every X amount of years when it's politically expedient, we can expect to see a fight like this. I think, unfortunately, that's right. Maybe I'm being too cynical, and hopefully one day Congress will get its act together. Maybe at the end of December, when it's a lame duck period and no one's paying attention, just get rid of this dumb, dumb law. Dylan Matthews, before him, Andrew Prokop. They both write for Vox. Read them and weep at Vox.com. Our show today was produced by Miles Bryan, fact-checked by Laura Bullard, mixed by Paul Robert Mounsey, and edited by Matthew Collette. He's the one who hates the trillion-dollar coin on our team. He hates it so much he asked me to tell you how much he hates it. He never asks me to tell you anything. That's how much he hates it. It's Today Explained. Okay, let's see here. I think this plugs in here, and we'll just, whatever, we'll just, okay, record. Okay. Support for this episode of Today Explained came from Mint Mobile. 
This isn't so hard. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase three months. That's a good deal. Um, and at Mint, families start at just two lines, unlike other providers who make you buy four or five lines to get the best rate. Goodness me, two lines. And here we are still paying for Jimbo's bill. What are you doing in here? This is my room. Uh, nothing, nothing. I'm doing nothing. Wait a minute, are you recording? You're, are you uh, recording? I, I'm almost done. Just, just let me finish. I'm on a roll. Okay. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required, equivalent to $15 a month. Right, that's 15 times three. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Oh, woo! <laughs> okay, that was actually pretty good. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.